Thank you for listening to our 2021 season of the Miso TV podcast. Miso TV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, or Meso Foundation for short, is an organization that provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This 2021 season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, the Gorey Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Mysicothin. Visit CureMiso.org to learn more about the Miso Foundation and about Miso TV. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. James Stevenson of the Cleveland Clinic to discuss staging in mesothelioma. Dr. Stevenson, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this uh, episode of Miso TV. Um, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to the world of mesothelioma? Yes, uh, thanks. Very glad to be here today. Um, I am a thoracic medical oncologist. Um, I've been in practice and fellowship for over 20 years now, and really have been, my practice has been dedicated to uh, thoracic cancers, and uh, especially in uh, interested in mesothelioma. You know, clinically, I've been involved in uh, clinical investigations of mesothelioma, clinical trials uh, during that time, and uh, being involved uh, with groups like the foundation. So um, it's been, again, something that, uh, you know, like so many, of, so many of us involved in the foundation that feel passionate about finding, helping people with mesothelioma and their families and, and you know, advancing treatment. So, you know, in fact, we were speaking about you a little bit today on the staff call, um, you know, in relation to this episode to be filmed. And, you know, I mentioned that, um, you know, prior to joining the Scientific Advisory Board, and now that you're a member of our board of directors, um, prior to both of those positions, you actually had you know, stood up and volunteered to help us with a number of our reviews. So you know, you've always been a very strong supporter and you know, you've always really looked out for the mesothelioma community, you know, community in terms of you know, pushing for really good science and um, you know, research and you know, driving, you know, driving that message home. So, I know we've known each other since your days at UPenn, uh, where you, you, know, you held a position in uh, the Mesothelioma Treatment Center, uh, and now you're at the Cleveland Clinic. So what is your position at the Cleveland Clinic? Yeah, so I've been at the Cleveland Clinic uh, since 2012, and mm-hmm. uh, again, a member of the uh, thoracic oncology program here. Um, you know, I lead the mesothelioma effort with some of our, uh, uh, we have a great team of thoracic surgeons here, as well as the uh, radiation oncologists that are doing things like plural um, radiotherapy. So, you know, we've got a great multidisciplinary group here uh, that, uh, again, we're actively participating in trials and, uh, and again, have tried to carry on some of the work that we were doing at Penn. Mm-hmm. And here, and in, you uh, have, I'm sorry. So just got to, you know, and I found that here in Ohio, we, you know, we do have, a, you know, uh, being kind of in an industrial sort of center of, or what people term as the rust belt, you know, kind of a, uh, a different type of patient with mesothelioma than I was used to in Philadelphia in terms of their background and uh, how they might have been exposed to asbestos. So it's been 
um, you know, to, to see the cases that we've seen that come from some of the states around Ohio that have worked in automotive industry to steel industry and contractors has been, you know, again, kind of eye-opening for me too, uh, just seeing what happens more in, in some of these, uh, you know, Mideastern and Midwestern states, and, you know, that mesothelioma is a problem you know, throughout the country. And in uh, terms of some of the factory workers and some of the people who had this heavy asbestos exposure, um, do you see, um, do, do you see also family members and younger patients now in your practice as well? Yes, absolutely. So we've seen that that duplicated in terms of uh, secondary exposures, and, mm -hmm. uh, and then still seeing people with no obvious exposure. You know, a, uh, you know, probably one out of every five or so, where it's it's not clear that they were exposed. Say, uh, you know, a middle-aged woman with no exposure. You know, what, what the etiology is. You know, we still have cases like that too. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, usually when you know when somebody mentions something about, well, gee, my dad had mesothelioma or my mom had mesothelioma. I'm going to find a screening program and I'm going to get myself and every one of my siblings screened. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, is there screening for mesothelioma? Uh, is it effective? Is it done? Is it approved? Is it covered? Yeah, there, there really is nothing, nothing that's been found to be effective. It's been tried and I, you know, I still will every now and then see patients who, you know, would tell me that they, you know, they got a call from their workplace you know, to come in and have a chest x-ray because that was part of some sort of screening program. So um, those types of things existed in the, in the past and maybe some still do, but without any mm -hmm. evidence that, uh, that they had any impact on finding mesothelioma earlier at an earlier stage uh, or, you know, or impacted outcomes for our patients. So unfortunately, you know, as we know that because of the nature of mesothelioma with the, the, the delay from exposure to the development of the disease, the you know lack of of a real precise test, whether it's a, a uh, radiographic test or a blood test, it's we just it just has not been a, a a useful way to figure out how to screen folks for mesothelioma. Mm -hmm. right. um, so it is different though for lung cancer. My understanding is that we pick up early stage lung cancers on these screening programs. And yes. you know, I think people mistakenly feel when they hear that the unions are doing screenings that they're really you know, predominantly meant for mesothelioma. But the reality is, is that they're picking up those early stage lung cancers and an occasional advanced mesothelioma in the process. Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, so, have been, uh, there have been some I have been some hope that by using you know, certain blood markers uh, mm -hmm. like mesothelin or or tibulin three that you know things like this could be translated into a you know some type of screening uh, test, but then those haven't really panned out because of just you know the finding the people who it's appropriate to screen and then the length of time during screening. You mentioned lung cancer screening. You know that the study that led to that being approved was just done over kind of a a three-year window where, where people at risk would have CT scans. And, you know, for mesothelioma, where would you find a window like, the, like that where, you know, screening would be, you know, best accomplished, you know, 30 years after exposure? Um, how do you find those people? And it's just really, really difficult, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I agree. So um, I guess, you know, so when you're seeing people in the clinic, um, you're seeing patients now who have carried the diagnosis of mesothelioma. 
Um, and, you know, a question I'm asked often is, well, gee, no one told me what stage I'm in. Um, and I wonder, do you routinely tell your patients about stage and how do you stage your patients? How are they staged? Yeah, there is, uh, there is formal staging that, uh, that is done for pleural mesothelioma, not, not for peritoneal yet, but for pleural there is. Um, it, is um, it is probably more difficult than some of the other cancers that we stage to, to, to give a real accurate stage because some of it might be dependent on some things that you would find mm -hmm. uh, during surgery. Um, you know, we have the T tumor node and, and M metastasis staging system, what we call TNM. And we kind of put those three factors together to come up with a stage, which is a numeric stage, ranging from one earliest stage to four, which is the latest stage of, of a cancer and, or of mesothelioma. Um, the, you know, it does take um, sometimes more information than we have just with a CAT scan to figure out somebody's stage, although we can, you know, along the way, we can get pretty, pretty close to what we feel is, is the likely stage. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> but I won't necessarily talk to patients in terms of stage. I think initially, you know, we'll be interested in things like what is the, what is the histology? Is it epithelioid, biphasic, or sarcomatoid? Um, mm -hmm. what, uh, and that will help us to know whether surgery might be a consideration because I think when it comes down to staging, that's probably the, you know, the foremost thing that we get from it is, uh, is whether surgery could be considered as part of their treatment plan. Mm -hmm. And the other factors that come into that, like histology. Um, but then there's other things that we need to consider, like a patient's age, um, their comorbidities, what other medical issues do they have, um, you know, things like that. And then <clears throat> at the very end, when we can make treatment recommendations, then it, it comes down to the patient and their family deciding what's best for them, mm -hmm. especially uh, if there are multiple treatment options and you know one of which might include surgery. So mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not always as clear cut for mesothelioma, you know, to go from stage to treatment uh, mm -hmm. as it is for other tumors like lung cancer, because mm -hmm. because of some of the uh, other factors that really play a big role in our treatment decision making. Mm -hmm. um, so I think sometimes that also impacts our clinical trial results as well. You know, when we accrue patients for lung cancer trials, we look at all the various stages of lung cancer, 1A, 1B, 2, et cetera. And mesothelioma, it's basically operable versus inoperable. Um, so sometimes when we look at the results of a clinical trial, you know, we don't always know that a patient that, you know, the patients may have been in later stage disease. So I think sometimes statistics are also a little bit offset by not being able to accurately stage and enter by stage. But with the small numbers of mesothelioma, I, I just don't imagine that we'll ever get to that point where we would be enrolling based upon stage. I think it'll always be, um, you know, performance status, histology, and, you know, whether they're operable or not. Yeah, you're right. I, you know, it's funny because actually, I will have some of our tumor registrars, so the people who officially do cancer staging at a, at a hospital, at a medical center, like they will not infrequently check with me to see what I thought maybe a, stage, a patient stage was in mesothelioma because they weren't really sure either. So it's, 
especially when we're talking about the T-staging, mm -hmm. the actual extent of the uh, mesothelioma tumor in the pleura, uh, it's, it's really difficult to, to precisely, you know, say T1 versus T4, you know, some of those mm -hmm. categories uh, when we're looking at the, uh, the amount of pleural involvement. Uh, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even the experts have difficulty with that too. Um, and people have put a lot of effort into, you know, into making the staging system. So it's, it's not for lack of trying. It's just, it's just the nature of mesothelioma. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the foundation has, uh, you know, we've funded some of the staging work that was done. And, you know, we've been very interested in trying to, you know, further this along. But, you know, as you said, I think a lot of it just has to do with the imaging techniques that we have today and the way mesothelioma grows. You know, sheet like sheets of tumor are very hard to measure to pick up versus those shaggy tumors that you see with other diseases. So, um, you know, so now, you, you know, you have a patient in the clinic, um, they're some, you know, they're relatively healthy, you know, they have mesothelioma. So what impacts your decision on how to treat and, you know, whether to refer them to surgery or clinical trial or standard treatment? How do you make some of those decisions? Right. It, and I will just say just to as a segue that, you, you know, to talk about some of the, the pitfalls in staging does not mean that we're not able mm -hmm. to come up with good treatment recommendations for patients with mesothelioma. So I uh, just want to emphasize that. Um, Thank you. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it is, it is something that a lot of factors you know, get taken into account, um, mm -hmm. and including um, the input from other, other specialists, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but when I'm seeing somebody um, you know, and I'm for the first time and I'm understanding the extent of their mesothelioma, the type that they have, uh, the symptoms that they have, their medical situation, their social situation. I mean, all, I'm thinking about all those things as when I'm seeing them for the first time and wondering, you know, what's, what's going to be most appropriate for this, this person. And uh, um, you know, as we had mentioned, you know, histology will be Kind of one of the initial points I go to in my mind to know mm -hmm. what's going to be, you know, how aggressive we can be surgically. Uh, mm -hmm. Number one, I think that's where a lot of us will kind of try to get an initial um, feel for which way we might go. Is, is surgery even an option for this, this patient, mm -hmm. a potential option? And that's where histology can help. So obviously with epithelioid patients being the most appropriate for that. Um, and then you know, if we're, going, if we're going down a more aggressive surgical path, then thinking about things like lung function, cardiac function, other medical difficulties, or not, not, not necessarily difficult, any other medical issues, mm -hmm. uh, you know, will, will it be somebody that a surgeon would even consider for surgery from a medical mm -hmm. standpoint? Um, doing a, little, a bit more of a workup to maybe understand if there's any uh, lymph node involvement, uh, that, that's always critical, usually with some type of what we call invasive uh, mediastinal staging. And uh, PET scans are, are a part of that as well, especially when we're thinking about surgery. Mm -hmm. um, so Dr. Stevenson, <clears throat> uh, you mentioned the mediastinum. So that question comes up a lot. Could you describe what the mediastinum is and why it precludes surgery? Yeah, so the mediastinum is an area in the center of our chest where a lot of our um, Major organs and major blood vessels come come together, like where our heart is, and where things like our trachea is, and around the mediastinum there are a lot of lymph nodes, uh, lymph glands, and 
for many cancers, um, you know, spread into lymph nodes or is, can be one of the first areas that cancers spread to from where they start. Um, that's also the case with mesothelioma. So, mm. and, and so knowing if there is lymph node involvement can help us to know, again, if, if surgery might be more appropriate because um, as lymph nodes get involved further and further away from the pleura, from the, where the mesothelioma is, then the likelihood that surgery will help them if it goes down. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. within the mediastinum, there's, since it's in the middle of our chest, there's two sides. There's the side, there's a left side and a right side. So there's potentially a side closer to where the mesothelioma is, depending on which side that patient's mesothelioma is. And then there's, <clears throat> then there's the other side. And there can be you know, spread to lymph nodes on the same side or the opposite side. Um, if it is more towards the opposite side, then, you know, then surgery is not going to be appropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, if there is some involvement of the same side, then in some situations it might be. Um, mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, the way that we find that out is there's really two ways that can be done through a, a bronchoscope, through putting a scope into the trachea, into the lungs and doing, you can biopsy the lymph nodes in that way. Uh, also, surgeons can do it through a, uh, a surgical procedure where they, through a small incision just above the breastbone called a mediastinoscopy, they put a scope into that area and they can see the lymph nodes and biopsy them that way as well. So that's, that's again, typically something that we'll want to do in, mm -hmm. for anybody that we're considering surgery to, to assess whether there are lymph nodes involved and if they are, are they, what's the extent of it? Is it just on the same side as where the mesothelioma is, or is it more extensive? So that, I guess, you know, uh, really just leads itself to why, you know, patients should be at an expert center, because it's not only the expertise of yourself as a medical oncologist, but it's all your colleagues from the field of radi radiology, radiation, surgery, all helping to weigh in to come up with a valuable treatment plan for the patient. Yeah, and again, again the more information that we have, Mm -hmm. you know, the better we can determine the best course. And that gives us a lot more information, even on top of uh, a PET scan, because a PET mm -hmm. scan can show us if there are suspicious lymph nodes as well, but it's not, it's not definitive because there could be false positives and false negatives on, on mm -hmm. scans. Mm -hmm. And I think historically, we always speak about uh, less than 15, 1, 5% of all patients with mesothelioma are operable. Um, do you feel that's right. a, a fair statement? I, I agree with that. So... For, for patients that are operable, there is a lot of effort that goes into um, the preoperative evaluation and then, mm -hmm. of course, the treatment course. But it, the reality is that you know, most patients with mesothelioma are, are not considered operable. Mm -hmm. um, and in the patients that are operable, we do look at the procedure as a, um, a life-prolonging procedure, not, not necessarily a curative type of procedure mm -hmm. like we do for other kind of earlier stage cancers, say like like lung cancer or mm -hmm. colon cancer or breast cancer. So mm -hmm. the, the goals of surgery are, are different for mesothelioma, mm -hmm. and that's something that we have to discuss with patients as a group, you know, between all the specialists involved. And I, I also think too that, you know, we go back 10 years ago, if a patient wasn't operable, um, we had probably had less, you know, we had more of a dismal view of their survivability, but I think today there's a lot more in the toolbox. So do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, um, what you're seeing today and, you know, what sort of excites you in this field? Yeah, definitely. I think um, with just in the past year, 
we've mm -hmm. got two new drugs approved for uh, use in, in mesothelioma, two immunotherapy drugs uh, mm -hmm. that were used in combination in a large randomized trial that, that uh, were shown to be superior to chemotherapy uh, when it came to, uh, again, life prolongation uh, for people with mesothelioma. Uh, so that was, a, that was a big win for all of our patients. Um, now it turns out that as we look closer at that trial, that immunotherapy probably works better in some patients than chemotherapy in others. So uh, I, I, it, it wasn't, it, we don't interpret this trial as um, immunotherapy replacing chemotherapy, but as an mm -hmm. additional treatment that can be used um, mm -hmm. in a, again, in, in a patient's treatment course. Um, mm -hmm. Because what was found from that trial, what was called the Checkmate 743 trial was that immunotherapy uh, worked best in patients with sarcomatoid and biphasic histology. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that we were kind of sensing even in smaller studies of immunotherapy, we were sort of um, mm -hmm. uh, seeing that happen and, and that confirmed it. Mm -hmm. So clearly for those patients, immunotherapy is going to be the most appropriate first treatment for them. Whereas with the epithelioid patients, chemotherapy uh, still has a role in the frontline treatment uh, mm -hmm. for those patients, potentially with another kind of novel drug that we were using before immunotherapy, bevacizumab or Avastin, uh, mm -hmm. added to it. So mm -hmm. um, that the incorporation of immunotherapy now you know, provides a novel treatment to, to use either frontline or second or as a, what we consider a second line treatment if people get chemotherapy initially and then need to go to a different treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think, again, people that are uh, docs that are treating mesothelioma you know, have gained, I think, a, a good understanding of how to use these drugs potentially in sequence and mm -hmm. um, certainly the potential side effects, how they might, they might be different uh, mm -hmm. explaining them to patients. Uh, and again, putting all this together, it's clearly leading to better outcomes in terms of people living longer with mesothelioma and, and of course, a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. The question so, is... I, I guess I wanted to ask you, um, just, you know, building upon this. So when you have, you know, new patients that you're seeing who've had no prior treatments, how do you decide whether to refer them uh, onto a clinical trial as a frontline therapy, do you automatically think Alentosis platinum avastin, ipinevo, or clinical trial? How, how is that decision made? And how should patients think about this too? Yeah, I think um, if there is a clinical trial available, um, mm -hmm. certainly at my at, you know, open at the Cleveland Clinic, I, you know, my, that they would be eligible for, you know, that's going to be a big part of the discussion. We have a trial here that would offer, say, immunotherapy or immunotherapy combined with, say, chemotherapy, which mm -hmm. we currently have, um, mm -hmm. then, you know, that, that, that would be, mm -hmm. you know, my first choice is if, it, if mm -hmm. the patient and their family, they were comfortable mm -hmm. with that after getting all the information. Mm -hmm. um, it, and in terms of referring maybe for trials elsewhere, um, you know, that's, that's a discussion that we have as well. You know, and, and it depends on, you know, patients' mm -hmm. interest in traveling. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that makes more sense maybe as a after frontline therapy where we're looking for a plan B that patients might be more willing to seek out opinions at, at 
from other centers where there might be different trials going on. Mm -hmm. um, I think thankfully for a lot of the larger frontline trials, like, <clears throat> excuse me, like the Checkmate trial are now for the, the Dreamer trial, you know, those are thankfully are open at most of the large mesothelioma mm -hmm. centers in the U.S. So mm -hmm. I think that that's important. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, patients who may be listening to this and thinking, well, you know, I can get these therapies at home. Um, I want them to understand the value of that second opinion, the value of seeing um, an expert in the disease, because even if we don't need you today, perhaps we'll need you, you know, for the second line treatment. So I think getting that second opinion uh, is very important. God bless you. I know you've had a terrific head cold and you're just recovering. <laughs> I, I do think that we've uh, covered most of the topics that we had uh, planned on covering today. Um, is there anything that you wanted to bring up or? Um, no, I think that, uh, you know, we've covered a lot of, uh, a lot of, the, a lot of the things that, <clears throat> that I think about when I see a patient for the first time and we're just getting started, you know, on that journey, figuring out best treatment and, um, you know, again, it's uh, with experience and working with other <clears throat> experienced uh, uh, specialists, uh, communicating with them, again, generally, despite some of the limitations, say the staging or, or any other issues, mm -hmm. we're, we're able to really, I think, decide what's, what's going to be best. And uh, again, along with the, uh, the patient and their family being a part of that decision. So, well, thank you, yeah. Dr. Stevenson. And um, Again, you know, I know the Cleveland Clinic has a well-deserved reputation, and I do hear from patients that they are well taken care of. So I appreciate that, you know, you've dedicated so much of your career to mesothelioma, and uh, I hope we'll be also be around to celebrate the rest of these breakthroughs because we know they're coming. Definitely. I think they're, now we know <clears throat> that they're going to come much faster than, than we've seen in the past, so there's a lot to be excited about, definitely. Mary. So, well, to come. thank you. Thank you, and uh, have a good afternoon. All right. Thank you again for today. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mary. Thank okay. you. See you next Bye -bye. time.